So we come into a retreat situation. There's something that calls us, something calls us. The call of faith, call of the spirit, search for meaning, resolution, completion, authenticity. These kinds of calls which are often wordless. directly experienced. Intimate. Something that can't be um, imposed. But it arises in this world. And the encouragement, uh, the teachings, is that the the Tathagata, the Buddha, is one who is realized, fully self-realized, in this world through realizing this world as it is. Uh, what is this world? Another teaching, I'm sure you've probably got your own understanding of this, but to remember, uh, Buddha says you don't get to the end of suffering until you get to the end of the world. But that world cannot be travelled by walking around or it's within this very body its perceptions and mind is the world, the arising of the world, passing of the world, the way through the world, to the end of suffering. Mm. So it really brings it right back. Such a word as world, which seems we generally use to uh, indicate something so overwhelming, so huge. So beyond us, something where our self is constantly attempting to meet or manage, uh, find its place in, uh, and going out through the senses and through thinking to try to handle it. Mm. Revise that phrase, that term, in this very body, its perceptions and mind the world. The one that you can encompass to realize what that call of the Spirit is asking of you. Yeah, so we, you know, probably we might very well imagine that we live on a planet, planet Earth, and it's so many millions of miles away from the sun, and that's in a vast galaxy, which is one of just billions of vast galaxies, and so which our our own existence is such a speck, it's almost indeterminable how specky it is. (laughs) But that, however vast and measurable, and how many measurements people can make of this, does not include uh, yesterday, does not include um, courage, doesn't include uh, faith, doesn't include um, departed friends and relatives, doesn't include joy and sorrow. doesn't include any path that's meaningful that we can live within. It completely wipes out our potency. And uh, so if we say that's the world we live in, the realm we live in, we've just basically 
No wonder we feel overwhelmed by it. <laughs> but you recognize, well, that's one description of a certain aspect. But it's leaving out almost the entirety of my, my experience of feeling, of, of uh, inclination, of uh, anxiety, of love, of uh, memory, of all these incredible qualities that uh, are so intimate and so uh, absolutely there. How could we ever overlook them? How could we ever try to fit all that potency into some abstract, measured thing that's beyond us? So you just reset to get a more complete sense of the cosmos as material form yeah as that and as consciousness as some way of apprehending that measuring it sensing it and there's various impressions that arise perceptions meanings interpretations that arise as soon as consciousness alights on a visual form, the measuring, the impression begins. That's black, that's green, that's big, that's small, and so on. And all the details build up. It's felt. What is felt means there's some resonance, some energy shifts of resistance, uncertainty, or movement towards, that movement of energy begins. We're in. Now we're in it. And then we're in it, and then the activations begin. How to respond, what's going to happen, our reactions, reflexes, some automatic, some carefully figured out, some acquired, some wholesome, some leading to unpleasant, destructive patterns. We're in. Yeah, this is the realm of what's called the five aggregates. Form, consciousness, perception, feeling, sankharas, activations, responses, movements. Some decisive movements, not even though they're necessarily well calibrated, but they make a determined impact. We go. We either go into our happiness, our unhappiness, our thinking, our bodies, our measuring. We we go. We get activated. So all that the world and uh, the Buddha comments that the target and the phrase he used. The only word he used, really, for himself, which means something like, thus gone and thus come. Come into this world and also gone beyond it. Uh, that, said so this Tathagata is not restricted by that, dwells with unconstricted citta, unconstricted awareness within that, is not constricted by it, certainly sensitive to it, certainly understands it, is no longer restricted by it, dwells unrestricted by it. Whereas for most of us, I imagine, there's a fair degree of constriction. We feel hemmed in by habits, uh, we feel hemmed in, constrained by obligations. We feel contained by conventions and behaviors and limitations. We feel trapped in a body that has pain in it. Mm. If we're constricted in terms of what we're able to do, limited, most of us, I imagine, feel not unconstricted. 
But the uh, word targeted doesn't really refer to a person. Um, it refers to a, this uh, realization body. You could say a realization uh, mode. Clearly the physical body of the Buddha was pretty constricted. And his ability to do things was restricted. Mm. Unpleasant feeling assailed him that he had to work with. Death came, degeneration. Mm. And yet the Tathagata dwells with awareness unrestricted by these five aggregates, unconstricted by aging and death unconstricted by suffering, defilement. Mm. So this realization body, you could say, it's the targeta. So what is it that knows the world? Buddha is sometimes also called the Lokavidu, the one who is knowing or wise, or feeling and sensing the entire world. And we kind of try to bring that into something more portable. We say there's awareness of whatever happens, sight, sound, touch, as they arise. And some, we're aware of that. There is awareness of that. And by and large, that's awareness plus, awareness plus some sense of distaste or favoring. Or just uninvolved neutrality. Yeah, well, doesn't matter. And I suppose our, our key work or investigation is how is awareness of perceptions and feelings, memories and sensations? Hmm. How, do we, how does it meet our world? Now the Buddha is saying in this very body hmm. so again this is another key isn't it that we always do meditation is well, at least our tradition, our lineage this is very much an embodied sense we definitely sit with it we walk with it we stand with it, we recline with it and we move around with it. We move around with our medit- in our meditative context. It's good to keep remembering that. You know, it's not just a series of not one posture, not even four postures, but four basic, and then all the flows and flexes that occur through this body. Mm. And. This body, we have the two uh, two particular uh, aspects that are referred to: internal, external, and when they conjoin, external body that which uh, is impacted by phenomena that we hold as external, such as touch, temperature, you know, phenomena strike. So we hold that as external. That's the way it seems. Internal, uh, the various reflexes and senses that are associated with uh, the body's energy system, and most clearly and obviously configured in terms of emotion, where that process informs the heart 
process of the body's energy rising, subsiding, contracting, wavering, tensing up, releasing, getting all speedy, rustling around, sinking, struggling, opening, resting, (laughs) suffusing, all that. is registered in what we might loosely again term emotion. We feel subdued, elated, uh, frustrated, um, anxious, steady, grounded, joyful, tight. And there's emotions. And then the emotions naturally start to be the basis for our thinking to occur, mostly how to handle this stuff how to get it to be more harmonious and comfortable. Mm. So this is all, I might say, the inner body, and this is the place where mm, everything uh, becomes very much um, enmeshed, immersed, not separate. We're in it. We are it. Whereas we might very well move away from physical sensations if we can, we're uncomfortable, turn the heat up, um, you know, put more clothes on or avoid painful contact. Internally, that's not going to happen. Uh, so this internal body contains the uh, all the impressions that are happening and how they're being processed and used as a platform for activation. So because this is what's being felt, I need to do that. Because this is what is being sensed, I wish I could be more like that. Because this is what's being sensed that's obstructing me yeah, or inviting me. So this becomes the field of immediate engagement, more or less automatic. Whereas external, we can say, oh no, I won't bother with that. I'll move away from that, or doesn't matter. Internally, there's always some kind of response. Even response is just to close down and not to have to have a response. That's a response. And one of the most familiar responses is, just go somewhere else inside this, and I just go off into my head and think about things. Or sort of numb out a bit, close down a bit. Very normal response, nothing unusual about that. Because this response has to be uh, slowly learned. And learnt directly within this embodied domain. And uh, as we're all aware, most of our learning is abstract learning, not embodied learning, but history, geography, physics, languages, economics, or how to do this. You know, it's obviously academic learning, even life learning is kind of abstract. Like, this is what people expect of you, this is the way you should dress, this is what you should look like. It's all just ideas and we're picking up those signals, yeah, and attributing them to an abstract called myself, which we can never really exactly locate, but we certainly feel the presence of it, and it's not happy. It becomes, that self becomes the... Uh, reference point for all the how experience is received and the and how the response occurs. How experience is received in the internal body, how it's received, or constricted, and the response is push or squeeze or jump or do something. So, you know, this internal body acts as that place 
and the net net the sets of programs and psychologies that that get adopted to handle the experience of being contacted and then the, the kind of responses that will come up formulating them and sustaining them and learning them that becomes myself it becomes the reference point you know Of course, it's uh, it's constructed, not not innate. And so, you know, obviously, we get anxiety programs and what to do about that. We get um, insecurities, what to do about that. We get being uh, uh, having to do something and lots of things to do. And what we, how we respond to that? Being somewhat overwhelmed, uh, feeling inadequate suddenly we're being contacted by things we don't really can't really fully handle and you know, so how to manage that and often at this point the response is, is too quick it's automatic so the sense of self gets so automatic that we assume it's always there because it becomes such an immediate uh, creation there it is again. There it is again. We might notice that as different, different selves. Sometimes it's a cheerful, convivial self, and sometimes it's a kind of nervous self. Sometimes it's a, I'm going to get this done. I'm very progressive and activated, and here we go. And sometimes it's kind of flustered and uncertain. Mm-hmm. And the feature of it is it's, it's compulsive. It's reactive, it's, it's automatic, it just rushes in. And the average untrained being would sense that, you know, there's this self in here, that's what I am, and there's a world out there. I mean, this self is going to meet that world. And that self has to meet that world. And that may take some doing, it may be also incredibly wonderful out there or it may be but I've got to meet it that world out there but not you know so if it's full of wonderful promises how do I get how do I get it I don't want to miss out on any of it or if it's full of uncertainties how do I get stable in that or if it's full of things that seem overwhelming how do I defend myself against that and if it's peopled with other beings how do I get to feel normal in that? <laughs> Acceptable. <laughs> so this is a quite a, a busy experience. Mm. And all of that, we can be aware of all of that. Uh, and that's good, really, to be aware of all of that, with, and not to add things that are not needed. We don't need another self to be aware of it. We're just aware of that. Mm. and uh, really taking the time to say okay and then using this body as a way to uh, more fully sense the effects of both what comes in and what streams out so what comes in how we get what, what arrives, and what will arrive will mostly be um, perceptions and feeling, contact. And what will move out will be activations. And then we're taking time to really open that, arrive at that, whatever the perceptions are. Now, perception's a nice, vague, abstract word. Uh, for example, we might think, well, I'm seeing things, definitely seeing things. Um, not quite. You're experiencing seeing something. You're not seeing anything, you're experiencing the act of seeing. <laughs> What's the difference? 
Well, when we understand we're experiencing seeing, there's some sense of what's happening uh, is, a con- is conditioned. It's, uh, t- it's biased. Mm. So I'm not actually seeing something as it is, I'm experiencing my seeing of it. Okay? I'm experiencing my seeing of it. And you move that question of what's being seen for four people to the left and what do they see? And what does the person in the back see? And what would a dog see? And what would their experience be? And it would be slightly different. Seeing, hearing, touching, tasting. I'm experiencing those and what they're bringing in as consciousness lands, as contact happens, is some meaning. That's a man, that's a woman, probably. It's big, small, friendly, unfriendly, uh, threatening, welcoming, tones, tonalities, old friend, newcomer, stranger, Mm. seems to be unhappy. God, it looks like he's got a problem. Um, looks like she's welcoming and joyful. All these things flash in. Mm. And uh, with some deeper understanding, what moves us is that. Otherwise, there's no contact. It's that what involves us is that experience of the perception. There's where the energy shifts. Your eyes, obviously, moving around. As long as they're open, they're seeing something. Right? As long as they're open, they're seeing something. But if you say, what did you see? Did you see the doorknob? No. How about the um, light switch? Nope. How about the mark on the carpet? Nope. How about the Zafu's in the back? I'm seeing a glance of them. How about the the hot water pipes? How about the, you know, no, what I saw was two or three, three or four people. <laughs> or a big Buddha or a Tara or a Kuan Yin or something. Something caught my eye. That's what I saw. So you didn't see what your eyes saw, you saw what your interest gathered around, what struck you. So you experienced, your direct experience was not the visual field, but just the perceptions within that, that touched you. And as it touched you, as it touched, how did it touch? Something moved, something, oh. And then activation, some resonance started. Memory, oh yeah, that's that. Some sense of being affected by it. Perhaps rather subtle. That happens, so that's... We probably would recognize that a lot of that is fairly innocuous. But also, um, you might find one or two of those perceptions that they have quite a significant resonance of uh, mistrust or uncertainty or you know, something a bit more powerful. Uh, uh, and if we track those, we're recognizing oh, this... Uh, is lighting something up in me that's already there. My fear potential or my uh, whatever, you know, my wish to be met or something like that lights up. So a particularly significant perception and then what are the, the resonances that land with that? Mm. Mm.
And so this simple term covers all of it, really. Could be just the perception of being on retreat and how that lands, which could very much change from hour to hour. What does retreat mean? <laughs> you know, what does meditation mean? And suddenly you're carrying all these ideas and perceptions and what are you talking about? Here we are. Here it is. Here's this. And remember, when any of these perceptions starts to uh, assume authority, we find ourselves rather bound by that. You know, like if we use a word like meditation, okay, perceptions that arise without. I'd imagine, well, okay, I speak self, you know, generally the perception is one of still, um, bodily still, steady, uh, strongly focused attention. Uh, it's not going to be a bunch of laughs. <laughs> this is probably a bit of work here. Scrutiny, investigation, meeting stuff. That's that, you know. So, so you know, you sit down, you get that about two or three seconds. Oh, it's nice to sit down, and then, oh, oh here comes meditation. <laughs> you know, oh, got to meet stuff. Got to try to work with stuff. How do I get through this? And how long is this going to last? When's the bell going to ring? On the time going to happen? And you know, that, that suddenly carried or moved into something. You know, what are you talking about? The body sits, breathes, walks, moves. And, uh, you know, the, generally that's what's going on. Where do, why do perceptions arise? Why are they so significant? Because all of us need some definition or something needs definition. I'm definitely here, definitely doing this. I'm definitely doing the proper thing. Yeah, okay. So you're keeping that just okay. How much of that is really true, clear, uh, Fully, yes. How much of it is, I should, I ought, I can't, I must, I better. Mm. And what do those sounds feel like? What do those times feel like? So these perceptions carry those tonalities that seem like ideas. They are ideas, but no, they're not. They carry signals that move into the, into the subtle body and start to activate it. Uh, pressure. So we might put a question there around our interpretations. Is it true? How do you know it's true? What does it feel like when you say this is true? Is that feeling something you'd like to keep going, helpful, useful, or you know, obstructive? If it feels that if it's obstructive, is there any reason to keep going on that one? <laughs> what would it be like without dismissing it? Or just imagine what it'd be like if that particular one wasn't needed.
Now this is um, it's a good process of inquiry. How am I affected? Okay. In a way, it, it's sort of half true because it's definitely happening, but maybe I didn't quite get the right signal, or maybe I interpreted it wrong. I don't know. So how true is it? Now, rather than going to abstract truth, like it says it on this, or she told me that, no, talk about how fitting is it? How does it fit? Uh, does it ring in true with you? Does it strike a dead note? Does it strike a note that's pretty familiar, but fixated, got to, must, can't, shouldn't, better, have to be? And how does that feel? make those sounds, how does it feel? Now we're not actually looking for abstract truth. We're looking for direct realization of the release of suffering. Now, why do those statements jump in? Why do we need to know where we are and who we are, and what's right and what's wrong? Why do we need to do that? Because of the sense of the need for certainty, definition, security, and so on. Okay, fair enough. Mm. How much of that is needed? We need to feel safe and here, but how much this apparatus is needed to bring that around? Could we experience that within this very body without knowing who we are? There's an act of faith there, isn't there? To move out of a, a kind of a, a security that's been, you know, a means of establishing our security. So we're trying to get it right, so we won't get it wrong, make a mistake, and mess other people up and be a nuisance. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. Uh, to, to so just, just inquire into that and the act of trust. Perhaps it would be okay. Or I could find out directly, gently, if I move slowly, inquiring, aware. How does this feel? What happens if I how does that feel? So this kind of very sensitive working around our reactivities, our sense of self-obligation, self-measurement as being a source of definition and security. How much of that do we need? Could this body in itself provide it? you know, by itself, organically, not according to a set of abstract definitions, not according to social circumstances and conventions, and most powerfully, not according to the memories that have shaped us. Not according to inheritance of feeling unworthy, not according to inheritance of feeling we've got to do so much to be accepted, not following the message of be something other, then you'll be okay, be something other than this, get clever, (laughs) get smart, get all the strategies going, so then you'll be okay. What's it like to just gently, I could let go of one or two of those, and you need to shift your energy and your interest in being aware of this body, this subtle body, which is breathing you, keeping you alive, you know, flushing in your skin, sensing atmospheres, moving out through the skin, sensing the textures around you, the openness around you, 
this wonderful gift right in the heart of the cosmos very much in it and centered and your home Of course, this is a profound, transformative uh, process. One in which none of us could be expected to just jump right in and smooth sailing. Uh, So he said, don't go fast. Every obstruction is not something you have to get over. It's something to open to, begin to reframe what we find our our habits, how annoyed we get by them, how we struggle and how we change them. Just reframe those part of the territory that has to be opened around and how is this feel? And so beginning to encourage to develop something more intuitive in terms of our awareness moves, rather than programmed in terms of right, wrong, effect, result, deal with this, eliminate that, get more of this. That very kind of plunky (laughs) system. Something more subtle is required. This is the heart of meditation's process. Something more subtle are no longer led by the thinking mind or our notions, but felt, directly felt. This is where there's an ability to meet closed areas without trying to knock them open or push through them or feel, complain about them. Or this is a meet, to meet them what are they trying, you know, as if they're expressing languages that we haven't quite mastered yet. We have to learn from them. This very body, which on the ordinary person will take as fundamentally a, a system that gets me from A to B, needs food, rest, uh, and so forth, physical form. Yeah, and my mind leads it around. Uh, These bones, muscles, skin, hair, so on. It's a doing kind of thing. It's a doing machine. (laughs) Actually, you just even begin to review and a good amount of the body's is just a speaking system. It's, a, it's an expression. It's expressive. We say we have body language. Uh, and so a good amount of, of just the, even the physicality of the body is purely about expression. And face muscles particularly are very tuned into that. But, you know, the expression of, of how does the body express its fear? Tracts, tissues harden defensively. How does it express its anger? Things rise up, so coming to the surface, generally up towards the face. You want to make your body makes it very clear. Look, I'm not happy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it shine it radiates out. How does it express joy and welcome? Chest opens, face tissues light up, skin becomes soft. These are very simple expressions, aren't they? Very obvious. I'm putting very broad strokes on the palette. Everything is saying something. Some of it's saying, I can't speak. I can't say anything. Part of it's saying that. Part of it's, you know. So all that, now if we come into this embodiment, not from the outside as something I can look at and witness and make behave in certain ways, but as 
like we enter. We're not standing outside the cosmos looking into it because we can't. You're in it. And right in the center of it, this is in this embodied experience that has to be fully covered till we come to the place where it, it opens. There's an ending of it. And the activations are resolved. It says what it has to say. It's finished. It's completed. So we're coming into that. And uh, the encouragement to get the entirety of the inner body and the outer body, both are relevant, is this one area which, of course, meets both of those requirements, and it's the skin. That's where inner and outer meet. Now we all, because we all know we have skin, but mostly we're aware not so much of skin, but so much as as the muscles that move us, the legs, or the organs, or things that are doing stuff. Skin doesn't do anything, really, apart from receive and signal. It's a receptor. It's receiving impressions internally, and it's receiving impressions externally. That's what it can do. But some of those impressions are shut off by muscle constriction. So through various forms of constriction, our boundary isn't really the skin, which we're barely aware of, but the muscle which is sometimes a subtle muscle of holding ourselves together. We feel a certain hardness at the edge holding us together. That's muscle. That's the constriction. So therefore, the speech of the body is limited to just what the, the muscle tone will allow. I have a muscle, I'm looking at talking about the muscles around your eyes or the corners of your mouth or running across the, under the throat, or they will allow to be said or felt. So these areas, in fact, the whole form, what's happening in your back, lower back, thighs, soles of the feet, palms of the hands, areas which are extremely open by nature, Soles of the feet, palms of the hands, they're not, they haven't got heavy muscle masses in them. They're extremely receptive. Temples you know, around the eye sockets, face, very loud voice the face has. Mm. Yeah. This is because this is really about where we both receive, because this is where we sense organs are and our transmitter fundamentally is going to come through the face, isn't it? You look at somebody's expression and you get it. (laughs) They're telling you, shove off or hello. (laughs) (laughs) So we come to this, what's it like to just relax all those muscles? Come to the skin. Living sensitive to that where external, internal meat, resetting our boundary from the psychological self to, one of a better term, part one participating in a retreat with the boundaries of that, the forms of that. Quite simple. Resetting one's self-boundary, and then resetting your physical boundary. 
So we're not somebody who lives within their head or with any part of the anatomy, but certainly not in our head. We're living in that relational world where we're touched, there's touch, impression, feeling, response. That's where we really live. That's where we really are alive. That's where the suffering, stress and release from it occurs. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. And the body, the subtle body, the internal body, can measure that. What does it what does it feel like when something is able to release? Mm. What kind of permission or gesture is needed to encourage it, invite it to do so, invite it to speak? Mm. These are all open questions. But uh, because of this call of the spirit, this is what that question is going to keep operating within. So we use these um, outer and internal bodies, keeping the two <laughs> together. So for example, uh, if we're walking, very uh, uh, useful place to reset, because of all postures, Walking meditation, or walking mindfully, or however you want to put it, is the one that most closely mirrors our normal mode in our cosmos, which is, I'm moving through it. Could be I'm moving through the day. It could be I'm moving through that problem. It could be I'm moving through that meal. It could be I'm moving through this conversation. It could be I'm moving through doubt could be I'm moving through and moving, or I can't move, I want to move, I can't move fast enough through this difficult thing. Most of our experience in reality is based upon the ability to to move. (laughs) Move through, to keep moving through the world. And we can do this psychologically, we can do this emotionally, we can do it sitting, but when you're walking, you're getting a pretty good uh, working model of that and how it gets set and for the average person it's set by the mind the mind says you're going to the kitchen the mind says you've got to walk up and down 25 paces the mind says you're walking for one hour half an hour 45 minutes the mind says you're walking in that area not that area and the body doesn't get a look in to what actually is happening. The mind has decided. And the mind said, forward, go. Walk to the car, walk to your room, go, go. (laughs) The body doesn't want to go anywhere. (laughs) Its sole sole task is to stay balanced, stop falling over. Don't let that happen. And begin to synchronize how movement can occur. So when we walk in, uh, in our direct experience, the encouragement is to begin to wipe out the sense of walking to, not walking to anywhere. Uh, So the sense of time and space 
begin to wipe those out and experience just how the body facilitates this function. We can see it stands, it finds balance. It's able to take one leg off the ground and not fall over. Mm-hmm. It's able to swing that leg without falling over. Mm-hmm. It's able to plant that foot down comfortably and smoothly and shift its weight from one side to another. And it's, uh, it's doing it. It can do all that. And how does it do it? You know, we may think walking is something that feet do. Well, yeah, but walking is basically a pelvic experience, most fundamentally. That's where it really happens, lower back, pelvis. So shift the weight to one side, the pelvis turns in order to roll the leg forward. It turns, the left leg goes forward, the left shoulder comes back, to act as a counterbalance so you don't fall over. And it just operates that swing. And how vigorously up to your energies to determine. You know, if you try walking up a flight of stairs, you see what happens, how the body counterbalances. Your left leg goes up, your left shoulder comes back. It goes like that. And so in that, then we break that set, which is about forward, whereby there's a kind of a march or a rush or a two, which is never completed. The mind will always create another two, another through, another onwards. The body is no onwards. It's just this. So there's a stillness within that because there's no onwards. Yeah, I mean, from the outside it may look like it's moving on, but internally it's just that turning, fluidity, moving balance. And that's, that's comfortable and uh, easeful and a suitable realm to discard what's not needed in terms of complexities, stress, performance, identity. You don't need an identity to walk. And so with the lightening of the weight that we feel ourselves consigned to, as something opens, unrestricted. Mm. So well, Laura and I are trying to bring around and encourage is a good degree of openness in the session, in our session together. We have the boundaries and an encouragement to find what works for you within that, uh, within the limitations of this situation to live in harmony. So we have the fundamental postures, walking, sitting, standing, reclining. And we have some times written down. And then we're saying, well, why don't you, you know, have a, see what seems to be, you know, needed or useful or interesting or, you know, or get you out of your box. So why don't we take some time to get into direct practice, establishing our reference points, tuning into this body, uh, noticing what's being touched, what's being affected, what the responses are, and a gentle sense of inquiry. Where's that? How is that? Is that necessary? What, What does it need? questions to ask the heart. Mm. 